0: Mahler begins the Seventh Symphony with the first movement in classically oriented, though substantially expanded, sonata form. Radical harmonic deviations occur with disturbing frequency. Brass dominate the orchestration of the principal march subjects, but take a back seat to the strings for the movement's lyrical themes. Straussian super romantic effects contrast with harmonies that border on Schoenbergian atonality or bitonality. Extreme tempo contrasts and radical changes in mood subvert the musical flow and create a sense of instability, as in the two previous symphonies. Here, such sudden shifts heighten the fantastical and paradistic nature of the music, rather than generating angst or violence. Unlike the dramatically focused opening movements of the 5th and 6th symphonies, The first movement of the seventh seems to be pure musical abstraction, devoid of implicit programmatic content or philosophical orientation. What we have here appears to be a formally constructed sonata movement with an expansive introduction, an exposition containing three contrasting themes, an extensive development, recapitulation, and lengthy coda. Its formal design is comparable to that of the sixth symphony's finale, Both movements begin with long introductions segmented into subdivisions which increase in tempo and urgency as they lead gradually but purposefully to their respective first allegro themes. These introductions contain musical material that recurs during the course of the movement and contains elements that will find their way into the principal themes. Both movements also share a segment of galloping rhythms That brings Shostakovich's music to mind. The sixth and seventh symphonies have other common elements. The first exposition theme of the seventh's opening movement is closely related to its counterpart in the sixth. Dotted march rhythms predominate. The interval of the fourth plays a significant role in the more forceful themes. Both first movements have three main themes and the rhapsodic third subject of the seventh's opening movement recalls the Alma theme of the sixth. The first movement of the third symphony also shares some of these similarities in form and substance, particularly the integration of motivic material from the introduction into the movement's principal themes, and the appearance of recitative and arioso-like passages in both first subjects, accompanied by long stretches of tremolos, And funereal march rhythms. Because of the absence of any clear-cut program, some commentators have extrapolated a night symbolism from the two Nachmusik movements, the second and the fourth, to explain the first movement's darker aspects, while others focus on Mahler's comments about musical details to find evidence to relate the movement to the presumed night-day subtext. Donald Mitchell describes the movement as an evocation of the dark side of nature. He bases this notion upon Mahler's comment that he discovered the opening rhythm while rowing, that this rhythm sounds like steinpumpeln ins Wasser, stones plopping in the water, that the opening tenor horn solo roars like nature itself, and bird calls appear in the development section. Mitchell also supports his claim by pointing to the predominance of minor key tonality, the use of heavy brass in the movement's dynamic themes, and the occurrence of weighty passages that evoke images reminiscent of the first subject of the Third Symphony's first movement, which represents the dark side of nature. Wilhelm Mengelberg suggests that the movement is dominated by the tragic and elemental power of death, utilizing the night symbolism He sees this music as evoking a dark night of the soul, lightened only by vain aspirations toward light and love. Paul Becker views the movement in purely musical terms as a defiance of the perception of sound. He focuses upon what he calls the lack of consideration for harmony in the use of superimposed fourths, bitonality, and violent key switches bar after bar. Combining a consideration of form and substance, Theodore Adorno suggests that in this movement, Mahler, quote, translates the achievements in form of the Middle Symphony Allegro's into the world of Wunderhorn fantasy. What seems lacking in these comments is an implicit inner program or quasi-narrative conception comparable to those of the Fifth and Sixth Symphonies. Elements of parody more easily identifiable in the second through fifth movements, seem absent in the first, or at least not obvious. Redlich's suggestion that Mahler merely reused the sixth symphony's first movement form, adding an extensive introduction comparable to the one crafted for the finale of that symphony, completely misses the point, for it is just this form that is the subject of parody in the seventh symphony's first movement. In the first movements of the second, third, fifth, and sixth symphonies, funereal or martial rhythms and corresponding thematic material evoke the tragic aspect of life, or the image of a battle between positive and negative forces within the human spirit. The dark mood of the seventh's first movement does not persistently express suffering, anguish, or torment. No raging conflict tears at the heartstrings. The funeral march of the introduction may be lugubrious, but it is hardly mournful. It may be steeped in mystery, but does not engender angst or rage. Veiled harmonies in a minor key, rarely associated with tragedy, create instead an opaque contemplative atmosphere. The opening funeral march is hardly tragic when compared with its parallel subjects in the third and fifth symphonies. Rhythmic support unlike the rhythm of rowing, consists of double-dotted notes that lend a baroque quality to the introduction. Nor is the tenor horn theme with which the movement opens mournful or grim. The addition of a sixth to the harmonic basis of this theme undermines any such characterization. Frequent use of seventh intervals adds a tinge of the grotesque rather than the mournful especially in conjunction with its incorporation into the melody of the funeral march rhythm. Death seems less horrible in this guise, despite the music's gray overtones and strange rhythmic and linear configuration. Even the principal themes do not project themselves as authentic dramatic characterizations. A comparison of the first theme of the seventh's first movement with its counterpart in the first movement of the sixth is telling. The former has all the swagger, but none of the heroic quality of the latter. Similarly, the lyrical third theme tries to be as rhapsodic as the Alma theme from the sixth symphony's first movement, but its feigned romanticism seems inauthentic and schmaltzy in comparison. To presume that Mahler simply lost his touch and failed to create another grand first movement, is to seriously underestimate the depth and dimension of his creative genius. The first movement's overall tonal progression mirrors that of the symphony as a whole, beginning in the minor key and ending in the major. During the development section, modulations are so bold that tonal centers are sometimes difficult to determine. The tonality with which the movement begins is so strongly directed toward B minor that it takes some time to finally establish the principal key of E minor. For this reason, a few commentators consider B minor to be the seventh principal key. A hint of C major is heard briefly during the development section, foreshadowing its appearance as the predominant key in the finale, where its sun-drenched brilliance will dispel the shadows of night evoked in the fourth movement. Horn signals, bird calls, march rhythms, and brass chorales recall many first movements of Mahler's previous symphonies. But here they seem ill-used, sounding banal rather than heroic, pastoral, or spiritually uplifting. Even the opening funeral march tread not only fails to evoke a sense of either mournfulness or dread, turns into an energetic gallop, that races into the aggressive march of the exposition's first subject. The characteristically funereal rhythm is broken apart and transformed into melodic material by modifying it with false relations and dissonant intervals. It is unclear what instrument Mahler actually intended by the designation tenor horn or tenor tuba in B-flat for the opening theme. He might have been referring to a German tenor tuba but its timbral quality is too distended for the opening theme. Norman Delmar suggests that Mahler meant a tenor sax horn, which was an obscure instrument even in Mahler's day. Most conductors use a baritone horn, the timbre of which seems appropriate for the tenor horn part, although its very name seems to contradict Mahler's denomination of a brass instrument in the tenor range. The first movement begins with an extensive introduction, consisting of four subsections that contain thematic and rhythmic material that will be used in the principal themes of the exposition, a characteristic of Mahler's creative process. In a slow tempo, the movement starts off with a Baroque-like rhythm that is more likely to have appealed to Mahler because of its appearance in several of Verdi's operas during scenes that deal with the death of the hero or heroine. Here are three brief examples. First, from the last act of La Traviata. Next, from the Miserere in Il Trovatore. And last, from the finale of La Forza del Destino. As in these Verdi operas, the opening of the seventh uses this funereal rhythm as background, here played softly by woodwinds and strings, yet the motive sounds more ponderous and sluggish than tragic in comparison with the stark character and unnerving force of its use in Verdi's operas. It is as if the thought of death was no longer so frightening, but only clouded in mystery. The tenor horn enters in the middle of the third measure to play a theme that is based in part upon the Verdian motto rhythm. Intervals of a seventh give it a grotesque character, but fail to engender either sorrow or terror. Mahler cleverly introduces the motive of the devil's dance as a natural outgrowth of the Verdian rhythmic figure, given that both are based upon dactylic rhythm long, short, short sometimes reconstituted into anapestic rhythm, in reverse, short, short, long. A comparison of the opening measures of both these symphonies is quite revealing. Here is the related segment from the third symphony's first movement. Both movements use similar musical material, but project very different atmospheres. If the opening section of the seventh's first movement was intended to be a funeral march, it appears more impish than mournful. It's dark, shading, neither sinister nor tragic. After the tenor horn theme is developed to the accompaniment of variations on its rhythmic components in woodwinds and violins, the tonality cadences into B major to begin the second subsection in a slightly faster, it's still very measured tempo. Vacillating between G and B major, woodwinds and then violins play a little strutting march tune. It's clipped, dotted rhythms will become a primary element of the exposition's second theme. As this strident march continues, strong emphasis on the last beat of each measure sets it slightly off balance. As we just heard, in the last two bars of this subsection, a trumpet and then horns play a fragment of the tenor horn theme, consisting of the anapestic figure that is derived from the Verdian death motto as an inverted version of the devil's dance motive. It ushers in the third subsection of the introduction as the key changes to E flat minor. The Verdian rhythmic motto is now played more rapidly. As accompaniment for a new forceful march theme in the trombones that anticipates the exposition's first theme. Its double-dotted rhythm relates it to the Verdian motive. Rising triplets give the impression of military signals, thus connoting the motive of the hero, while falling fourths are characteristically Malarian. The music suddenly slows down and comes to a complete stop midway through what appears to be the beginning of further thematic development. The opening measures of the introduction return in B minor and in the original tempo. Again, the funereal rhythm sounds muffled against the tenor horn's bold statement of a variation of the trombone's marching tune from the preceding third subsection. It appears to be a variation of the tenor horn's opening theme, A solo trumpet develops this thematic variant briefly. When the strings restate the trombone's version of this marching tune to the propulsive Verdian rhythm played by the horns, the tempo begins to press forward. Horns wrest the theme from the strings and the woodwinds, while strings pick up the underlying rhythmic pulse. Violins and flutes embellish the theme with waves of intermittent rapid flourishes on increasingly extended 32nd notes. When the tempo becomes even more lively, the Verdian motto rhythm attains a full gallop, accompanying the trombone theme, here played by horns as if moving toward a preordained goal. Still advancing with increasing speed, the trumpets take over the trombone theme in a brief transitional passage which concludes the introduction and ushers in the exposition. When a galloping rhythm is firmly established, the exposition begins with horns and cellos boldly stating the first theme in E minor. Its overall shape is related both to the trombone's marching tune from the third subsection of the introduction and the first theme of the corresponding movement from the sixth symphony, but sounding more pompous than heroic. Rising chordal triplets that become part of the theme as it progresses try to make the theme sound more heroic as they did in both the first movement of the Fifth Symphony and the finale of the sixth, as well as the Wunderhorn song, "Ravelga," The falling fourth and clipped dotted rhythms are prominent thematic components. Devilish trills, galloping rhythms, and extrapolation of the theme on quarter-note triplets combine to produce a spectral quality that seems out of keeping with the first subject's martial bearing. As the first subject runs its course, Its galloping theme turns into a whooping figure that hurries the music along. Mahler shifts the weight of the theme's opening notes from the strong to the weak beat, throwing the theme off balance and recalling a similar occurrence during the introduction. Here is the beginning of the exposition and the first theme. As the first theme quiets down quickly in the bass, strings jump in at mid-measure with a forceful thrust to begin the second theme in B major. It is virtually launched from this upward thrust into a clip-dotted rhythm, which provides its primary content. The sense of imbalance created during the close of the first theme by shifting the center of gravity to the second beat continues with added emphasis by forcing the second theme to begin on an emphatic upbeat, thus weakening the succeeding downbeat. As a counterweight to the clipped dotted rhythm, horns add a falling chromatic figure that contains a galloping dactylic rhythm. A brief lyrical phrase tries to temper the surging power of the willful second theme, but its martial rhythm returns, accompanied by military signals in woodwinds. Without preparation, the first theme suddenly returns in the home key on winds and bass strings, with violins and then timpani urging it forward on the galloping rhythm. After the first theme calms down, a lush romantic version of a lyrical phrase from the second subject over a bee drone in the bass provides a brief bridge passage that anticipates the upcoming third theme. As the return of the first theme begins to subside, the tonality makes its way to C major for the rhapsodic third theme. Although the meter shifts to common time, 4-4, the pace remains constant. A lavish Straussian theme is played effusively by the violins, its bright C major anticipating the principal key of the finale. The theme's sensual expression evoked through frequent use of chromatic passing tones, recalls the Alma theme of the Sixth Symphony. Arpeggios in low strings enhance the theme's romantic flavor. Brief fermatas on principal tones within the theme give it a languishing character, as do falling chromatics in horns. Here is the third theme. Mahler includes the four-note motive sung to the words Der schern" in the fourth song of Kinder Totenlieder that appears in virtually every work Mahler wrote after that song cycle. This motive gives the theme a slightly plaintive character. The clipped falling second that follows this motive is also a typically Mahlerian thematic figure. Let's listen. Mahler elicits a sense of deep yearning in a repeated figure based upon the motive of longing in violins. Becoming increasingly passionate, the lush third theme climbs to the heights, holding tenaciously to its top notes with brief fermatas. Mahler uses a similar technique to engender intense passion in the 5th symphony's Adagietto and the 6th symphony's Andante. As this amorous theme continues, a single measure in C minor intrudes like a dark cloud, but a strong chromatic pull upward into the major quickly wrests the theme away from the clutches of disaffection, for it surges forward once again ablaze with ardent passion. As the third theme reaches its high point, the key changes to G major and the Allegro Tempo flings the third theme aside for the return of the first theme with its impulsive energy undiminished. Here the first theme reappears not in the treble but in the bass against a rising counter theme in the treble on dotted rhythms. The martial rhythm of the introduction's second segment now returns with biting acuity in winds and strings sounding rather devilish when played on the glockenspiel. Quickly the tempo becomes more vigorous. The reprise of the first subject ends the exposition with the downward pull of the march tune from the introduction's second subsection. This stalwart march may be sourced in tottenfire fire and recalls the heroic subject of the Sixth Symphony's first movement. The development section begins with an inverted statement of the first theme in the principal allegro tempo, here to be played somewhat more weightily than before. After a series of overlapping thematic permutations with a broadened version of the first theme played by the horns, a hint of the original form of the first theme appears in the first trumpet, accompanied by descending trills in woodwinds, tremolos, and chordal pizzicatos in strings, as well as a variant of the galloping rhythm on the triangle. Horns and cellos follow on the theme proper, while violins take up the galloping rhythm against its whooping version in woodwinds. The glockenspiel adds sparkle to the martial rhythms on which the theme is extended. Without much ado, the second theme jumps in as the first ends. Mahler now subjects the second theme to a variety of developmental techniques, focusing, as he did with the first theme, on inversion and canonic imitation. The devil's dance motive makes an appearance, adding a sinister quality to the music, but also recalling the introduction. While the galloping rhythm and the falling quarter note couplets associated with the first theme are included in the development of the second. Slyly, the tenor horn sneaks in for a moment with the opening phrase of its introductory theme, set against the Verdian rhythm, as the tempo becomes more moderate for a brief bridge passage to the next section. <music> The rhapsodic third subject returns, now rather subdued and in B minor, as a calm yet mysterious atmosphere descends over the music. The second theme is dotted rhythm, in both its initial falling version and an inverted rising variant, hovers over the murky stillness that seems foreign to the nature of the music. Trying to regain its former passion, the third theme rises, on a sequence of ascending scales that fail to engender much emotion, remaining soft and unassuming. Suddenly, the first trumpet breaks up this momentary lull with a strong yet grotesquely distorted variant of the first theme in the main allegro tempo. three principal themes now combine in fascinating contrapuntal interplay. As they wind round each other, the three themes take on characteristics of each other. Even the march rhythm appears, but as an unaccustomed accompaniment to the lyrical third theme. It is a remarkable feat of dexterity to combine such diverse thematic material so that they fit together naturally and even become integral parts of each other. As the third theme tries to break away on an ascending sequence of the dertagis churn motive, the march tread of the introduction's second subsection enters in muted brass, ushering in the return of the exposition's second theme, as the key signature changes to G major. This time, the clipped, dotted rhythm that initiates this theme is played on the first beat instead of as an upbeat into the measure. The descending chromatic figure played forcefully by the horns is reconfigured to sound like a fragment of the Verdian rhythm. The motive of the hero, presented by trumpet tattoos, thus far absent but not unexpected, appears in the first trumpet on a military signal in rising chordal triplets. It soon replaces the descending chromatic figure from the second theme, For a moment the third theme tries to assert itself on a sequence of rising eighths seeking to displace the shades of darkness. At the height of this ascending phrase, the third theme is engulfed by the falling dotted rhythmic thrust that begins the second theme and increasingly prominent military horn calls. A powerful stroke on the glockenspiel and triangle cuts off the second theme and the music quiets down on sustained violin tremolos, we'll hear the passage that leads into the reprise of the second theme and beyond. Trumpet tattoos incorporating the Verdian motto rhythm mark the appearance of the hero. The tattoos intrude upon the music's quiescence, and the tempo becomes more measured with their steady martial rhythms. In the brief interlude that follows, transitioning into the return of the first theme, trumpet signals alternate with the low woodwind's soft, solemn chorale, based upon an elongated version of the introduction's second subject that recalls the weighty brass chorales of the 6th symphony. The key changes to E-flat major, while several short motives drift into different keys momentarily. A variant of the galloping rhythm in flutes follows the last trumpet volley. Again, a mysterious atmosphere beclouds the music with shades of night, until an oboe enters with the falling clip-dotted rhythm of the second theme. It is not that theme, however, that follows, but the first theme, which enters unexpectedly in the English horn. Uncharacteristically, this martial theme is played quietly and calmly in contrary motion between the English horn and solo violin, against a sparse orchestral background. The first theme is then extended on the rising chromatic eighth-note sequence from the third theme, against triplet tattoos from the second theme, played staccatissimo by the first flute. Once again, Mahler brilliantly combines elements from all three principal themes so as to make them virtually indistinguishable. Emphasis on the dotted rhythmic figure of the first theme's second measure makes it sound like the second theme, which begins on a dotted rhythm developed independently. Although the Verdian motto rhythm is absent here, the marching pulse is established and maintained by stringing together march themes. Muted low strings create an aura of mystery on the introduction's second subject, itself a little marching tune, after which oboes and violins play the staccato rising triplets that ended the initial statement of the first subject. This segment closes as the clarinets, who are asked to play like trumpets, call out demonstratively on an inversion of the opening clip-dotted rhythm of the second theme, played over the major to minor chordal motive of fate, punctuated by a vibrant stroke on the glockenspiel. hushed high B-flat tremolo that earlier preceded the trumpet tattoos returns to serve the same function. In what follows, material from the introduction reappears in various guises. The trumpet tattoos enter quietly in E-flat minor and incorporate an arpeggiated variant of the staccato triplets from the first theme. High woodwinds play the rhythmic Verdian motto as a natural adjunct to the trumpet tattoos, themselves modeled in part on that rhythm. Once again, the atmosphere darkens and becomes mysterious. The single-measure chorale that previously alternated with trumpet fanfares also returns, now played softly and haltingly in bassoon and low strings. This time, however, it has an interchange with the Verdian rhythmic motto, asserted intently on a flute with the trumpet call pronounced forcefully on a clarinet. Trumpets quietly add the upward thrust of the inverted, dotted rhythmic figure that preceded the return of the fanfare chorale segment, and is sourced in the second theme. A luminous glow emerges from the brass and cellos as they softly and gently intone the arching motive of redemption, followed by an inversion of the dotted rhythm that begins the second theme. This heavenly passage wells up into a huge cadence on a long-ascending harp glissando. A sequence of ascending arpeggios in two harps imitating the strumming of a guitar anticipate the enchanting sounds of an evening serenade in the second knock-musique movement. Bathed in billowy arpeggios embellished with woodwind trills, luxuriant violins rhapsodize on the third theme in B major as if transported to a state of pure bliss. No sooner do the violins begin their rapturous treatment of this theme than two horns quietly state the beginning of the first theme, while three trumpets whisper tattoos from the preceding section with the rising dotted rhythmic figure that might serve as a summons to battle if projected more strongly. In a very broad tempo, the third theme combines with fragments of the first theme and the little marching tune from the introduction's second subsection, punctuated by intermittent references to the Verdian rhythmic motto. The juxtaposition of lyrical melody with flickering rhythmic figures anticipates a similar contrast between melodic and rhythmic material in the second Nachtmusik. Though interwoven, these diverse themes create a surprisingly light textured musical fabric. Their contrapuntal interplay builds to a climax of profound pathos it features the dertogis churn motive from the third theme combined with a descending chromatic variant of the introduction's second subject Rising dotted rhythmic figuration begins to take hold in the brass, supported by an ascending phrase from the second part of the third theme, as the music moves to a cadential climax. When a heavily accented descending phrase played with extreme force by the violins is on the verge of reaching closure, the anticipated cadence is aborted by the unexpected return of the movement's opening section. Wrenched out of dreams of sensual delight, we awaken to the lugubrious strains of the Verdian rhythmic motto. It feels as if the bottom just fell out of the music, and we are left at the ground floor with the introduction. It is also an unusual but not unprecedented deviation from standard sonata form, using the introduction as its own quasi-recapitulation, which also functions as a transition to the reprise of the first theme. A string bass replaces the tenor horn on the opening theme's falling dotted rhythm, and the theme continues on trombones, accompanied by the Verdian motto rhythm. After a few measures, the tenor horn reappears, playing not only its own distorted tune, but the exposition's first theme as well. Shuddering thrusts of string tremolos chill the atmosphere. Trombones add their own inverted version of the tenor horn theme. Then the tenor horn begins to wander off into the realm of the third theme, with its passionate yearning phrase on sequentially rising eighths as the tempo presses forward. Horns and trombones pull back mightily on a dynamic phrase from the tenor horn theme that moves to a stirring climax, out of which high winds and violins wax rhapsodic over the der churn motive from the third theme. The harmony cadences to B major, only to plunge back into the minor the music seems to truly long for a sureness tog, a bright day at this critical moment, a desire that will not be fulfilled until the finale. Violins abruptly, if not rudely, shunt this passionate music aside with abrasive treatment of the tenor horn theme over the Verdian rhythm in low strings. Now the tenor horn returns with the second part of its theme, incorporating the devil's dance motive as during the introduction. The chorale subject combines with the tenor horn theme as the tonality drifts toward G major. Once again, the voluptuous third theme intercedes passionately in violins. The tonality seems headed for A major, but will devolve to E major as hints of the martial second theme enter in the trumpet on the inverted variant of its opening dotted rhythmic figure which is extended by woodwinds into the sequentially ascending triplets that close the first subject. The pace begins to accelerate only to hold back yet again, as if heading toward the same climax that was so abruptly halted by the reprise of the introduction only moments before. This time closure is reached on strongly accented descending sixteenths in the violins that fall from a great height as trumpets mightily assert the rising dotted rhythmic figure like a clarion call hailing the advent of the recapitulation. Let's listen from the passage just described where the third theme enters forcefully in violins. and cellos begin the recapitulation with an augmented version of the first theme in E major, set against the galloping variant of the Verdian motto-rhythm. As this theme is further developed, a motive in dotted rhythm from the introduction predominates in the bass. Since the second theme starts with essentially the same rhythmic figure, repetition and development of this common element creates confusion between the two themes. A powerful, elongated variation of the first theme then follows in a weightier tempo with overlapping canonic imitation with the bass strings. The combination of the dark E minor tonality and the shivering string tremolos lends a sinister quality to the swaggering first theme. Soon this theme returns in its original form with fragments of the second theme in winds. Brass enter on a weak beat, with a mighty statement of the first theme, while violins play the second part of that theme with its galloping rhythm and quarter-note triplets, resembling a trumpet tattoo. Mahler backs into the return of the second theme proper by repeating its initiating dotted rhythmic figure like a vamp, first on the tuba and then horns. It is accompanied by trilled woodwind chords and an extension of the galloping rhythm of the first theme until the second theme itself returns in B major. Our next excerpt will begin with the grandiose statement of the first theme. As with the first theme, the joie de vivre second is treated contrapuntally. Mahler retains the order of thematic presentation in the exposition, bringing back the first theme after the reprise of the second to function as a transition to the return of the third theme. At first, the galloping rhythm that urged it forward in the exposition is replaced with high string tremolos. Then the first theme comes back on the timpani and bass strings gradually diminishing until the violins swell into the third theme in a fascinating example of Mahler's telescoping technique. The third theme enters tenderly in violins in mid-course and in the first theme's key of B major, only to re-establish its tonal independence in G major only three measures later. Here is that remarkable transition to the third theme in midstream. The third theme continues as if a natural outgrowth of the first theme, reaching a brief climax on a weak beat with a strong upward thrust on the widest intervallic leap given to this phrase in the entire movement. After a full cadence, the theme recedes from a great height on the Der Taugisch-Chern figure. Mahler has the third theme re-enter in mid-phrase and then brings it to a climax on the beginning of the theme. Fragments of the second and third themes are knit into polyphonic musical fabric while the third theme continues to build in winds and strings. Contrapuntal treatment of the third theme continues until it reaches basically the same climax with which the section began, but with fuller orchestration and greater polyphonic complexity. Instead of releasing pent-up tension, the climax increases it as the thematic material becomes more agitated and impassioned. After the music gradually rises to a great height, the introduction's jaunty marching tune in E major returns in a more lively tempo, reestablishing the march beat that leads into the coda. Shostakovich must have been influenced by the music that follows, which begins the coda. Using galloping rhythms against a steady march beat set in 3-2 meter, the first theme enters in the brass, sounding sinister in an unaccustomed E minor and threatening in its augmented shape against propulsive rhythms. A rapid turn figure added to the theme adds a touch of the demonic, With the addition of the devil's dance motive, the march and dance rhythms create music suitable for a witch's Sabbath worthy of Berlioz. Isolating the falling dotted rhythmic tag of the first theme, which also opens the second theme, this dance macabre continues wildly. By the time the galloping rhythm disappears, the first theme has become menacingly grotesque, forcing its way forward with strong accents on its newly acquired turn figure. In a broad, weighty tempo, the dark side of the first theme surfaces like a terrifying monster. In a fascinating example of thematic transformation, the theme's opening phrase, disfigured by distorted intervals played against the Verdian motto, becomes ugly and grotesque. One might imagine some fiendish demon of tremendous proportions inching toward its prey, as in a children's ghost story. We'll listen now from the beginning of the coda. Now the first theme returns in its original E minor and allegro tempo to dispel the nightmarish vision urged on by its galloping rhythmic accompaniment. Fragments of the theme are bandied about with quarter note triplets from the second theme as if expressing relief that the nightmare is over. The music suddenly slows down and over a sequence of brass chords trumpets assert the falling dotted rhythm of the second theme answered by the horns with an elongated version of the inversion of the theme. It would appear that the brass intend to lead us back to yet another restatement of the first theme. Although they do bring back the galloping rhythm, the key changes to a bright E major, and instead of the first theme making a final appearance, it is the second theme that enters with its dotted rhythm that falls by a fifth. With a robust assertion of this rhythmic figure by the full orchestra, the movement ends with a dynamic thrust. Like the sixth first movement, the seventh ends not with the first theme, but with the second. Our last excerpt will begin just before the return of the first theme.